We end our sermon series today. Uh, it's our last week of the summer-long series, Ancient Past, looking at spiritual disciplines. So we've been in doing that for a while. We will be in John chapter 15. Today's sermon is kind of like the crescendo, the big ending to the entire sermon series. And, and what I mean by that is that we've been talking about different spiritual disciplines. And, and what is the, the point of the spiritual disciplines are unto godliness, and they, they will inevitably result in fruitfulness. So today what we're going to look at is fruitfulness, and I'll, we'll talk about it through John 15, that it is God's desire that we bear fruit, uh, and He's the one who causes us to bear fruit. And so we're going to look at the path of fruitfulness. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. Uh, the, the John 15 is where we're going to be. The path of fruitfulness. What we're going to do is actually start in, chat, in verse 7 and 8, and then we'll, we'll jump back into verse 1. But I want to start with the, this, this premise, this big idea here, that God is the one who desires fruitfulness. And so I don't want us to get, get caught up into the, this idea that it is mankind who, who originated the desire for fruitfulness. It is God's design that we bear fruit, period. And he says it this way specifically, uh, Jesus does, here in verse 7 and 8. He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But, or sorry, by this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So God is glorified when we, or which, which glorified means he's made much of. Uh, he, he is, his image is reflected when we bear much fruit. And it doesn't say just bear little fruit. He, God's desire is that we'd be very fruitful. Very fruitful. I know this is, is, is hard, depending on your church background, if you, you came from a church that only pushed numbers and, and only pushed fruitfulness, and, 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 and you just feel like it was all about the show, all about the numbers, all about all the, those things, and, I, and I, I hear you, and I get that. But what I want us to see here is not your past experience, but I want you to hear and see is the words of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. He says it's God the Father's desire that you bear much fruit. It, it, he is glorified in fruitfulness. See, fruitfulness is not necessarily just, just numbers, and so we're, we're going to get into that as we go along, but, but fruitfulness is fruitfulness. It's, it's, it's multiplication. It's, 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 uh, it's growing. It's not decreasing, and what we see this is that Jesus says that, that you will prove to be my disciples here, and what he means by this is not that, and this is where I think a lot of people get mixed up and why we have, we have baggage from, from this idea of fruitfulness, is that some people think proving uh, uh, means here that, that you, you must work to earn your way into the family. If you, if you produce fruit, if you force yourself to be fruitful, then somehow that legitimizes your Christianity. That's not what he is saying here. What he is saying here, this word prove, is, is he's saying this is the result of being a disciple, that you abide, you remain, and you produce fruit. See, see, fruit is the evidence of the Christian. It's the results of being a Christian. It is not what we, we must work to do in order to uh, legitimize our faith. And we're going to spend most of our time, hopefully you see that by the end of today, but this is where I want to start. But I want you to start with the idea that this fruitfulness is God's desire. It even was God's desire in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve. What is the thing he told them to do? Be what? Fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. And what we've talked about at length over and over again here is that mankind was created in the image of God to reflect God in the word and deed in every sphere that they've been placed in. And the first thing he wanted them to do was populate the earth. 
And so he wanted to populate the earth with image bearers who reflected the glory of God and who lived, worked, played, lived their lives to the, to the glory of God. They were fruitful in everything they did, word and deed. And so we're not to just make babies, though we should, but we are to reflect Jesus in our entire life and, 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 and have sons and spiritual sons and, and daughters and, and spiritual daughters. This is what Jesus says in the Great Commission is discipleship, to produce fruit of disciples, disciples who reflect Jesus in their, in, in their everyday life. This is what we've been commanded to do since the very beginning, be fruitful. Additionally, in times like, say, the flood, when Noah, when, when the flood came, what was the same result after uh, the, the flood was that Noah and his family were to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, the very same command that God gave Adam. Additionally, when you see throughout times, say, in Jeremiah 20, uh, or in, Je- in Jeremiah, what we see is that uh, 29, in chapter 29, you see that the famous verse, you know, in, cha- in 29, 11, but pre- preceding that and around that, what we see is that God's people are in exile, in Babylon, and he tells them to do what? To multiply. Do not decrease in Babylon. From Genesis to Revelation, and here in John 15, what we see is that it is God's desire that his people would continue to multiply. Not just have babies, but have spiritual babies. Disciples, don't decrease. The kingdom of heaven is never to decrease. And that's what we see here. And he says, what's going to be the result of you abiding in me is that you're going to not decrease. You're going to continue to be fruitful. We see in Galatians 6, 9 that this, this, this encouragement to us to not grow weary in doing good for what? In due season you will reap if you do not give up. There's the, it's the promise that you will reap if you don't give up. So what is it in your life that you just, man, like I've been praying for, for, for God to save, for God to, for God to move, for God to rid me of the sin, this desire to, to help me overcome. What is it that this, just, this, this pain point in your life that you've been begging the Lord, you've been doing what it says in, in, in verse 7, uh, uh, I want, I'm asking whatever I wish, and Lord, will it be done? I don't know if it will be done. And you're just praying for the soul of, of, of a friend, a family member, or uh, you, you, just, you just need to overcome a sin or addiction, or there's something in your life that, that you know that God's will is that it would change and so you're praying and asking and and you're abiding you're remaining in God and you're just weary right now how many of you need to hear today that you will reap a harvest if you don't give up see here's the reality I think so many Christians are not fruitful in their life because they give up period they give up praying they give up seeking they give up worshiping they give up they give up and what I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is you should give up trying to force fruit yourself, but you should not give up cultivating, give up abiding, give up rem- remaining, give up praying. See, this is, everyone loves verse 7. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever it is and I'll, it'll be done for you. But we take that out of context and we don't see this as, as a context of fruitfulness. Where do you need to see fruit? Where do you need to see spiritual fruit in your life? Some of you are like, I want fruitfulness in my, in my womb. Praying for, we've seen that in our, in our church. We've seen those who've desired to be pregnant, unable to get pregnant, become pregnant through doing what? We asked and pleaded and asked the Lord and he, he delivered, he did on his timing. And some have yet to receive the, the, the blessing of fruitfulness from the womb. Some of you have, 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 have struggled in your disciple making and you're like, man, I just don't, I haven't seen fruitfulness yet. Don't give up 
And so this is what I want us to see. That when you, when you, it's not just don't give up. Don't give up. But I want you to see behind that it is God the Father's desire that you be fruitful. He wants to help you. He wants to, he is with you. So don't stop praying. Don't, and when your strength is failing, continue to endure. God desires us to bear fruit. And so he prunes us. That's what we see next. God wants us to bear fruit. Therefore, he prunes us. This we see in verse one and two. He says this, I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you see again and again that Jesus is like, hey, the Father is kind of about this like multiplication thing. He wants, now if you're being fruitful, he's not just going, okay, good job. He's like, let's bear more fruit. Let's reach more people. I think it's important for me to say before we continue to go forward is that uh, who is fruit for? Like, just think about it. Is it for the tree? It's not. It's for others. Fruit is, is to be shared, to be enjoyed, to be experienced by others. That's what, fruitfulness is not for you. It's for others. Yeah, you may get to enjoy it, but it's, it's, what I want you to see is that the vine, think about a vine or, uh, uh, that, that is bearing a lot of fruit. The vine is glorified because it's like, look around, we've got a really fruitful vineyard here. God the Father is glorified through his people producing fruit. He says two things here, that Jesus is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one overseeing the whole project. And we are the branches. We're attached to the vine. He'll spend more time talking about that later, but I want you to see, he says this, fruitless branches are taken away, and fruitful branches are pruned so that they bear more fruit. See, we live in a world today when it, when you, when it comes to hardship or when it comes to things like pruning, you're like, man, what did I do wrong? Does God hate me? He says, he's actually like, those are the fruitful guys. The ones who get pruned are the, are, the, are the branches that are bearing fruit. It's not the fruitless that are, that are getting pruned. And so what is fruitfulness? Uh, it, fruitfulness is, it can be many things here. And this is this big category. One, it, it's, there's fruit of character. The Bible speaks of the fruit of character. That is fruit of the Holy Spirit. You got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are, that is fruit that is to be produced in and through you, individual Christian. That's what it is to do. Like you're supposed to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. My, my, I say you're supposed to meaning the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in you to be enjoyed by others. Like, right, a patient person, you ever, like, one of the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit is, is patient. Patient people are fun to be around. Impatient people are annoying, right? You've been around it, you've been, you've been that impatient person. You're like, man, I'm not, when I'm impatient, people don't like being around me. Yeah, because it's bad fruit. It doesn't taste good. Like, it's, people are like, I'm not going to eat that. I don't enjoy that. But a patient, a kind person, a gentle person, Someone who, who's not self-seeking, like someone who's producing like 1 Corinthians 13, love, like they, you're just like, ah, I, I really like being around that person. They're, they're enjoyable. Like the fruitfulness of a Christian is, in, is other people enjoy it. Other Christians enjoy it. Additionally, we see fruit uh, in the fruit of the mission, the, the mission that Jesus called us to. He didn't call us to a mission to just, uh, in theory, but to make disciples that it would actually produce more disciples, Right? So when Jesus commands in the Great Commission to go make disciples who make disciples, that, like, that you, we see this logical productivity in this, this multiplication, this fruitfulness that is to be done. 
And so there's fruit of the mission. So that means converts, people meeting Jesus, getting saved. That's fruitfulness. Disciples of Jesus, learning and be, to, to obey Jesus and, and actually then obeying him. Like, man, that's fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So in short, like fruitfulness can be uh, con- seeing conversions, but it can also see um, growing in holiness, Growing in, in character, maturity, in word, in thought, in deed, looking more like Jesus, multiplying disciples, growing in Christ-likeness, living the life, uh, a transformed life that looks more like Jesus, that's fruitfulness. And, uh, and all-encompassing fruitfulness. And God the Father wants you to look more like Jesus individually, and He wants Christians collectively to bear more fruit in making disciples. So He does what? He prunes. He prunes us so that we would bear more fruit. Some of you might have been in seasons, you're coming out of seasons, or you're in a season where you're being pruned, and you're questioning what you've done wrong. And maybe if there is sin you need to repent of, you should do that. But some of you are just really struggling, like, why has it been so hard? Why has it been so awful? Why do I feel like hard-pressed on every side? It could be that the Father is pruning you because He loves you. And he wants you to produce more fruit. There's something that, 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 that needs to be rooted out in your life now so that there can be more fruit for others to enjoy and so the Father is glorified more. And the, in, the, in the collective church, the, the big church is, is bearing more fruit at a, at a greater extent because of God's pruning you, your branch, so that you produce more fruit. And I want us to see here, it is the Father's job to prune to root out, to cut off things that, that don't look like Jesus, that don't reflect Jesus. And, and oftentimes those things may not be physical things or visible things, but they may be at a heart and soul level. But, so therefore the things that happen in, in, in the physical realm actually deal, make us deal with the stuff that's happening in the invisible realm at a heart and soul level. So Christian, if, you, if you're not willing to do the heart work, you might find yourself in a constant state of pruning and seeing less fruit because you're unwilling to deal with, say, the bitterness in your own heart, the unforgiveness in your own heart, your, the, or the, the, the things that the Lord is continuing to show you. Man, I'm, you're prone to anger. And it's like, man, I get angry all the time, and I know it, but I don't deal with it. I don't learn what the Lord wants me to learn in these seasons. So I'm in traffic every single day because he wants to prune out that impatience, you know? So you're like, well, that's why I don't drive anymore. That's cool. That's cool. You can avoid the thing that annoys you and that exposes your sin, but that doesn't mean you've matured. It just means you've avoided it. It's still there. So 10 years later, it's going to show up. At some point, it's going to show up, and you're like, man, I should have dealt with this in my marriage 15 years ago, but now I'm dealing with it now because I avoided it. And my heart didn't change. I see it. You see it over and over in people's lives. They don't deal with it. And then the fruit is not there in the future. But the fruit of their disobedience, the fruit of their neglect to what God was exposing is actually ruining and harming their life later. So see, fruitfulness is for the flourishing of the Christian, flourishing of the society, flourishing of the culture. It's, the, it's God the Father's job to prune we see in hebrews that he says he disciplines those he loves this is the idea we've been in a series on spiritual disciplines one way we can participate alongside our heavenly father in the act and art of pruning is to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness it is the father's will that we produce much fruit but it's also the father who disciplines and prunes 
He disciplines us when we, when we get out of line so that we'll get back in line. He prunes so that we bear much fruit. So as, as God's people, we're not just sitting here like doing nothing. We're participating alongside of him. It is him who is in, working in and through us for his own good pleasure. But it, it, we participate in the willful fight against the sin in our own heart when it's exposed. We, we willfully participate in the act of pruning and, and walking in repentance, confessing sin in community, um, living out what we, we discussed all of life. Last week in, in, in our sermon series, or in, in, our, in the sermon last week of, of following Jesus in, in fighting our sin and, and fulfilling his mission in the context of community. This is what we've been called to, to do. And that is a participating with God the Father in the act of pruning. And I want you to see this is not to earn. Now earning your fruitfulness there. You're just making yourself available so that the Father can produce the fruit. See, a branch needs pruning to bear more fruit. And we want to bear fruit as Christians, and we as a church want to help you bear fruit as, as Christians. God the Father is glorified in it. We want to glorify God. So you hear these, this language of, of a Christian, like, I want to glorify God. Produce fruit. That's one of the ways. There are many ways we glorify God. One of the things we teach the kids in in, 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 in the kids right now, what they're learning is they, they learn to, what, how do you glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands in law. We, we, you, by loving Jesus and obeying his commands in law. So there's an emotional side, there's a, there's a spiritual side, there's a, there's a heart side with it that loves God. And then what we're going to see later, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. See, they have fun in there learning about him. You know, they're, they're, they're laughing, they're loving it. Sounded like something crazy happened but they laughed it was great so we participate with god the father in the in the art and act of pruning by disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness repenting walking in community walking near the lord and so what i want us to see next is that here not only do we have fruit to be enjoyed and, and it's, it's personal and it's corporate but, but i want you to want to see this fruitless branch God does not prune a fruitless branch. So, so what either happens, he says that he takes it away. And this Greek word where it says taken away here, it means one of two things, or it means two things, I should say. It means to, to, to remove or to throw away, as it's written in the English. But, but the first definition of this word is to, rise, to raise up, to elevate, or to lift up. So what, what, what this is, is a vine dresser would do one of these two things in, in the act of, of cultivating a fruitfulness in, in a branch, is that uh, they would do one, lift it up. So if the, if the branch is not bearing fruit, and maybe it's, it's stuck in the mud and the dirt, and it's not able to have access to sun, one of the things a vine dresser will do is lift up the branch, maybe put, it, put a stick underneath it, something to lift and hold it up so that it can get sunlight, nourishment, so that it can start producing fruit. So it's one thing a vine dresser does is lifts up the, the, the branch that's not bearing fruit so that it can bear fruit. And so this is the, one of the definitions of this, the same word. The other thing is that if it's not producing fruit and it, it is not and it, it is dead, he cuts it off and he throws it away. So those are the two options the vine dresser has. But the goal of the vine dresser is that he would, he, he would have fruitfulness in the vine. So I want us to see here that fruitless branches are not yet pruned but are to be put in a position that they may have life. And if they don't have life, they're, they're, they're cut off. So some of you may feel right now that you're in a, you're in a season of, of faithless and fruitlessness. And that's how you feel right now. 
You're just like, I just feel real faithless. I feel very fruitless. What I want you to know is that this is where the church must come alongside you. And you must submit yourself to the, the, the church in order to let us help you be lifted up so that God the Father can shine his light, the Son, Jesus Christ, on you so that you can produce fruit. If not, you're just going to get cut off. I want you to see this is an act of love. We want to come alongside you, not to control you, not to manipulate you, but to help you, to lift you up, to put you in. This is exactly like what the, the, the paralytic did, with his, the friends of the paralytic did with Jesus. There's four friends who the dude couldn't walk, and they knew they needed to get him to Jesus. So what they did, they lifted him up, they tore up him in someone's house and dropped him at Jesus' feet so that Jesus could heal them. You need healing. Some of you need God's people to come alongside you and lift you up, to help position you in a position to overcome an addiction, to overcome a stronghold, to overcome anger or bitterness or resentment, or just to just, hey, follow Jesus for the first time. You need the church to come alongside you. You need God's people to help lift you up, to help you to do the one thing that will cause you to bear fruit, and that is to abide. Branches that don't abide literally means to stay connected to the vine, a branch that's stuck to the vine, that's the word abide, branches that don't stay connected to the vine do not produce fruit, period. Rather, they, they're usually thrown away. If they don't stay connected, what happens is they get thrown away, thrown into the, the burn pile for firewood. He continues this point here in verse 3. We are to abide in order to bear fruit. So we're to prune, we're, God the Father prunes us to bear fruit, but we're to abide to bear fruit. If we don't abide, we will not produce fruit. He says at first, he says this, you are, you are already clean. He's talking to his disciples because of the Lord I have spoken to you. See, he says, you are already clean. Elsewhere, Jesus will tell us that his disciples are clean, and he'll talk about, he'll give a caveat for Judas and say, you're not clean. He'll say, all of you are, but one guy's not. And so what, 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 what we see here is that he's, what, what going to church doesn't make you clean. Hanging around with Jesus doesn't make you clean. Just being in his presence doesn't make you clean. Trusting him, abiding him in him, and giving your life to him makes you clean. Feeding the poor doesn't make you clean. Having the right morals doesn't make you clean. Voting for the right guy doesn't make you clean. Nothing makes you clean other than then Jesus. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. We all need Jesus to make us clean. That's what we need. The big idea of the Bible is that we're all unclean. Every single person. Sometimes people think, oh, Christians just think they're superior to everyone. No, we just recognized we were dirty and we got a shower. As we realized it, Jesus was the one who cleansed us. He's the one who, who wiped away the dirt, our filth, our guilt. We didn't do anything. He cleansed us. And so we all need rescuing. We all need redemption. We all need uh, forgiveness. We all need cleansing. And Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us. True cleansing of our guilt at a soul level, at a heart level, of our shame, of our sin that we've committed and sin that's been committed against us. The only cleansing for, for that is Jesus Christ, salvation in Jesus. So if you've trusted your life to Jesus, you trust your salvation to Jesus, your soul to Jesus, your life to Jesus, you, get, you, you believe that he has died in your place for your sins, you have been cleansed. Cleansed. And this is what Jesus is saying. Hey, you, you guys are trusting in me. You believe in me. You hope in me. You, you, your life is centered around me. You worship me. Therefore, Abide in me. 
You're cleansed. You're clean. And therefore, verse 4, he says, abide in me. Abide in me. Hey, you're clean, so stay near. You're clean, so don't run away. You're clean, so stay connected. You've been adopted into the family, grafted into the vine. Don't go anywhere. Stay. Abide. Remain. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Period. How can, a, how can a branch bear fruit? It must be connected to the vine. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So you're just, he's talking to Christians, hey, you cannot bear fruit unless you stay connected to Jesus. Period. You can't. And let me ask you this. How much effort does a branch make to produce fruit when he's connected, when a branch is connected to the vine? How much effort? None. Zero. Zero. The, go, the, the Christian life is to stay connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine. See, so many people are like, I just got to work so hard to produce fruit. Guess what? A branch that's not connected to the vine, can't. you can try really hard. You can't produce fruit. It is impossible to produce fruit if you're not connected to Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he, it, he, he that it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Period. We must abide, which means remain. We must stay attached to Jesus. This isn't simply staying in Jesus' presence like figuratively, like uh, in, in proximity, staying connected to him. A branch that is, connect, that is next to a vine still does not produce fruit. It must be connected. It must be grafted in the vine. And this is the language of the New Testament that we were not a part of the vine and Jesus grafted us in the vine through faith and repentance in him. We've been put into the vine so that his life can be produced in and through us. And Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Therefore, the fruit that we produce comes from the life of Christ. It's Jesus' life lived out through us that is the fruit that, that is to be enjoyed, that is to be seen, that is to be multiplied. See, it's not the fruit of your personality. It's the fruit of your, your desires, your dreams, your kingdom. It's not, that's not, that's soiled, rotten fruit. And there are trees that produce bad fruit. And they can multiply bad fruit. God's desire is that we produce Fruit, the fruit of Christ. Therefore, we may stay connected to the vine who is Christ. Simply put, a branch does not do anything to produce fruit, but stay connected to the vine. We had a tree fall uh, in our yard the other day. Like, it was a while. We've had a few. I don't know what's going on in my backyard. If you know anything about trees, just let me know. But uh, we had a whole tree, like whole tree, just fall. Just the whole sucker just fell, and my son's like, that almost hit me. And he's three, so it would have been really bad, like a whole tree. And uh, like we went, and um, you know, I'm, I'm breaking the brand. I'm like, this is bad. How is this even up? And I'm looking out, there's no roots. It just made me start thinking about, man, this, this is a Christian somewhere. No roots, no connected. He looks like a tree, acts like a tree. One day he's going to fall, and we're going to find out this is just kindling, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to burn, we're gonna, it's firewood now. Like, that's what we're doing. Additionally, there was a tree that got so heavy because it wasn't pruned. And you know this, but apparently you got to trim some trees. It got so heavy, it fell. 
And so we didn't prune it, and it fell and broke. And so God the Father is a way better vine dresser than me, and you know, he, he's out there pruning trees and making sure we don't fall over, break, ruin our life uh, uh, with so much fruit. But, but this tree falls over, and this, bran- sorry, this branch falls over. I want you to see it fell over, this massive tree branch, and in, the, in two days, the, the green leaves that were on that tree disconnected from the rest of the tree were, were brown. You thought it was autumn. Well, we looked around, and I was like, it's fall. No, it's August. Like, this is, this is it. In two days, this, this limb that fell, all the fruit, the green fruit that was on the tree, was brown and destroyed. And it was good for nothing but firewood. It's a pecan tree, so it really is good for firewood. We're using it now. But it, it is not doing its original design, bearing fruit, staying connected to the tree. And this is exactly what Jesus says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. Like ultimately, this is the reality. Those who reject Jesus' atonement for sinners are like a dead branch that will eventually be thrown into the eternal fire. Like this should sober us on, on multiple levels. It should sober us in the fact that we should be living on mission, trying to, to, to help people know, love, and trust Jesus. It should sober us too to help our brothers and sisters who are not bearing fruit to lift them up so that they would bear fruit. Additionally, it should sober us to know if that's you and you, you are fruitless and you're faithless and you, you don't know, love, and trust Jesus and you don't think you need to, there is an eternal bonfire that you will be kindling for if like, you don't repent and trust Jesus. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. And he's the one who's going to oversee that bonfire. He's the one who's going to oversee it, the judgment and so this should give us great pause and cause to examine our own heart, examine our life, look at our life, and, and say, do I desire fruitfulness? Am, am I being fruitful? Therefore, am I abiding in Christ? Do I remain? Do I stay near Him? Do I trust Him? Do I love Him? Do I want Him? Am I, am I holding fast? Am I remaining? It, when the Scriptures reveal things, do I trust it or do I trust myself? Do I want to edit God's Word or do I want to proclaim God's Word? Do I want to love God and know God as, and, or trust in the Jesus as he's revealed himself in the scriptures? In his word. See, God's word is the, God's revelation of himself. You want to know about God? Read his word. Don't, that's where you find out. And sadly, over the years, I've watched many, many, many so-called Christians edit God's word because they just didn't like it. Or the culture that they lived in, we live in, uh, just, it didn't fit with the narrative. Or they just really like some things that God forbids. And so he says, they, they, they say things like, I know I, what I'm doing is wrong, but God knows my heart. Like that's, anytime you say that, just know that the Bible also teaches you that your heart is desperately wicked and, and you, know, you should uh, not trust your heart. You should trust your God. You should trust what he says about you and, 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 and his redemption plan for you. So I've seen additionally so many so-called Christians no longer abide. So see, what we do is when we start editing God's word, instead of submitting to God's word, what we're doing is, is, is detaching ourselves from the source of life. And we're no longer abiding. We're no longer remaining. We're no longer trusting in God's word, but we're editing God's word. We're, not, we're no longer defending and, and walking in, in oneness with God, but we've, we've separated ourselves and defend and celebrate what God has called evil. And therefore, God 
has, has, has said that we've become opponents of him. See, there are Christians out there who, who carry the label Christian, who don't abide or remain in Jesus, don't trust him, don't trust his word, but want to edit his word, change his word, and they've made themselves enemies with God. And this isn't me writing the news, this is, I'm just telling you what it says. Additionally, others have, have, so that's more obvious, but then there's others who are just slowly, silently disinterested. Christians are just disinterested, apathetic, justifying their lifestyles because they fell in love with making more money, they don't have time, the cowboys are playing, and now we don't have time for church, and it's just exhausting, and just little excuses here and there. I don't, don't read, not reading my Bible, not knowing my God, not submitting to His Word, not really interested in the things of God anymore, just slowly, slowly, slowly drifting away. And what they don't understand is soon they will be like the branch that's no longer connected to the vine, withered and dead. Luckily, on this side of eternity, God can bring life into dead limbs. There are miracles. But that we shouldn't be banking on, and I know a guy, this is his, this is his posture. He's like, ah, oh, God's sovereign. If he wants me back, he'll get me. It's been 10 years, and he's just been further and further and further and further and further, wandering from the Lord. And yeah, he's right. God can shake him up, but he also can let you die. He, he didn't stop Judas. I want you to see this. We somehow think that Jesus Christ is just going to go after everybody when they've resolved in their heart to walk away. I say this not, as, not to, not to uh, uh, cause you to lose hope for those you're praying for, but for, for those who are in the room or those who, who, who may be listening to this who, who are just like, you know what, like I just, one day I'll get around to it. Jesus didn't give a caveat for the rich young ruler when you get around to it. He says, all right, I'm leaving. The rich young ruler, Jesus says, hey, follow me. He says, no, I love my money and stuff too much. And Jesus said, okay, I don't care. Like, I'm leaving. Like, he let the dude die apart from him because he loves stuff other than Jesus. Jesus sometimes will spend a lot of energy running after people. Sometimes he lets the branch that decides to leave the vine wither and die. Judas, additionally, when, when Jesus tells Judas, hey, go do what you're going to do. Go, go sell me out to be murdered. I'm going to take this one. He didn't stop him. The scariest thing in life is to be disconnected from Jesus the vine. And you're just left there. To wither and die. So we must. So if in your heart you're going, no, 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 I want to stay in the vine. I want to stay near Jesus. Good. That's that's the Holy Spirit producing a longing for Christ. And so my my ple- I'm pleading with you to abide. Therefore, remain. Christians remain near Jesus. They stay connected to the vine. And I want you to see this. This is the fight of the Christian life. The Christian life is a fight to abide. The Christian life is a fight to remain. The Christian life is a fight to, to stay connected to Jesus so that we can produce fruit. And so I want you to see this. Branches can't help. Like again, they can't help but to produce this fruit. So therefore, the, the fight for the Christian is absolutely a must that we must fight. Not to produce fruit, but fight to remain close to Jesus. That's what he says. That's what's next. 
must fight to stay close to Jesus. Verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. See, staying close to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, starts with knowing that you're loved by God. Jesus loves you. And this is, this is not love based on anything you bring to the table or how awesome you are or your goodness or anything, but it's purely based off of God's goodness and grace towards you. He loves you. Some of you need to hear that today. God loves you. Therefore, out of that love, you should abide and remain. Like, he, he wants you. He, like, he's not, this is not like a, a father who, who has rejected you but has received you, has adopted you, has brought you into the family. You are loved. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So you're like, hey, how do I abide? How do I fight to stay in this game? Keep my commandments, Jesus says. Do what I've said. If I say this, do it. Don't question it. Don't edit it. Don't amend it. Just do it. Believe it. Trust it. Obey it. We as a nation have a hard time just hearing what Jesus says and going, okay, I'll do it. But that's what you require of your like three-year-old. Hey, I told you to do this. I love you. Like, you know, eat your fruit. So is the same with God. He says this, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, that's how we're to keep his commandments. See, we keep commandment, God's commands not to earn his love, but because we've already been loved, because we've already been adopted into the family, we've already received his love through faith in Jesus, we therefore now keep his commands as a response to our love for God. We keep his commandments like Jesus keeps his Father's commandments out of love for him. God, Jesus Christ loves God the Father and says, hey, I love you, so therefore I'm going to obey you. And Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you'll do the same. Because my commandments or his commandments are all kind of connected. And so we're one big family. If you love me, you'll obey me. So this is why the Christian life is this, is this fight. Do you love Jesus? If so, you will obey him, period. Period. End of sentence. So every moment that you find yourself in, in, in opposition to God's word, you got to ask yourself, do I love him? Do I love him? If I love him, will I respond in obedience? He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, some of you see the commandments of God and you're like, well, it just feels like I'm going to have to white knuckle it, get through it. It's going to be not very fun, not very enjoyable, not very pleasurable, just, you know, just... Oh, not very fun. Christianity is not fun. It's a lie. Jesus says that you'll have the most fun. That, that, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. See, the world offers you joy that's lacking. You are lacking joy apart from Jesus, period. You're lacking joy from apart from the commands of Jesus. Those who disobey Jesus have, are not the most joy-filled people, but rather they're on, a, they're on a slow decline to infinite and eternal misery. You just haven't a thousand more years and they'll see it. 2,000 years in eternity. Imagine this, 5,000 years, 1 million years in eternity. Just continually degrading apart from the presence of God. How enjoyable will self-gratification in disobedience to Jesus be in 10,000, 100,000, 1 million years? Because that's how eternity is going to be. You will live for eternity. And what is awesome now might just look like the dead branch that's next to the vine that still has green leaves. And what took two days in my backyard may take 
10 years in, in your lifetime or 100 years in your lifetime to experience and see the death. See, this is worth the fight. It's worth the fight in verse 11. See, it, I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you and that, my, that your joy may be full. And so it is worth the fight to keep the commands of Jesus because you will have an joy in this life and for an infinite joy forever and eternity in the presence of God. Like Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand will be pleasures forevermore. There's not a, a pleasure that you can have on earth that will not be enjoyed more in eternity Abiding in Jesus forever. This is what's offered. Obeying Jesus' commands are not we're, not, we're not skimping out on joy. We're maximizing it. So this is what discipleship looks like. Staying near Jesus, fighting to be near Jesus, to, 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 to trust the goodness of God our Father, to obey His commands, to see that they're therefore are flourishing and good. This is why we get involved in community, we fight our sin together, and we walk upright with Jesus. You, Christian, if you're a Christian, you're a beloved son or daughter of God. Therefore, abide. Abide. You are, and, and you also, when you do, you're loved by God. I want us to see next that we're secured by this love. This great love secures us. We see it this way, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that, a man, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded. Again, if, if you do this, you will prove to be my friends. Friends obey Jesus. Friends of Jesus obey Jesus. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I, you have heard from me, I, you've heard from my father that I have made known to you. What Jesus is saying is that you're my friends. I want, you to, I want us to focus in on this. This great love, he says, I love you, and he's demonstrating, he's going to prove his love for his disciples through their redemption, through the, his sacrifice on the cross. He's going to lay his life down. He says, no, there's no greater love than this, that I would now lay down my life for you, my friends. You were, you were once my servants, now you're my friends. You, you were once far off, but now you're near. You are my friends, and I'm going to lay down my life for you to secure you, to adopt you into my family. And this is what love is, folks. Look at the link that Jesus went to save you. Look at the, 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 the cross of Christ. Look at the, the scars on his hand, the blood that dripped from his head, the crown of thorns that was pressed into his brow. Look at all of these things and see them as Je- the link that Jesus went to save you. They're, they're evidence, external evidence of this is how much I love you. I love you so much that I gave myself for you to cleanse you of your sin, to give you a new family, a new life, adoption as sons and daughters, now friends of God. See, in this ecosystem of this all-encompassing, never-ending, abiding, securing love, we have this command to now in turn love one another like Jesus has loved us. You're my friends. Now do what I've commanded. Obey my word. And I want you to see this, that this love of Christ secures us so that when we fall short, we're not abandoned. There's, still, there's redemption, there's forgiveness, there's hope, there's repentance, there's forgiveness. But all that forgiveness and that hope is, is in that the mercy of Jesus is to drive us to stay near God the Father, to not run off. To stay near, to, to realize that there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in us, and therefore abide, remain in his love. 
See, when we find ourselves as Christians negotiating with willfulness to Jesus, I want you to see this willful disobedience to Jesus makes you not a friend of God, but an enemy of God. Willful disobedience, when you're willfully disobeying God, it's not, it's not just petty sin, it's treason. So look at the great length that Jesus went to, to save treasonous people. To, to, to cover their past sin, their presence, and their future sin. To give his life for them, in their place. His love encompasses, captures them, rescues them, so that they would worship him, abide in him, stay near him, obey him, and therefore produce much fruit, knowing that they're secured in Jesus' love as the king's kids. That's Christianity. Now, we're going to end with this. It may go a little long, and that's okay. Because I want us to see this. Is the reality is that we talk, a lot about fruitfulness. Talked about fruitfulness and understanding, abiding, remaining. But the reality, I want us to see, I, I, I would sell us short, I believe, if we, we talked about the reality of, of godly fruit bearing without talking about the potential results of bearing fruit in the world we live in. Jesus continues. He doesn't separate it like our, our verse in chapters do in, in John 15. So he continues. And in the same context, from verse 15, we move right into verse 16 from exactly what we, he just said. And what we see next is the results of fruitful labor will be hatred by the world. I want you to see this. Oftentimes you think of fruitfulness and now it's gonna be, we're going to be fruitful, we're going to multiply, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, we're going to look like Jesus, we're going to invade the world and everyone's going to love it, it's going to be flourishing, it's going to be great. That's just not the case. Jesus is decided, describing, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to multiply, I want this is going to stay near God, the Father, and, and guess what? They're going to hate you for it. Just imagine this. If this was a sales pitch and, and you started off like, hey, it's going to be really great. You're going to produce a lot of fruit and, 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 and Jesus is going to be made much of and God the Father is glorified. It's going to be really awesome and then you will have no friends. They will hate you. They might kill you. Like that, 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 That's a sales pitch Jesus is giving right here. And this is why I believe many Christians will not produce fruit is because they're afraid of the results of true fruitfulness here on earth. Jesus says it this way, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't pick this, I picked this, this is how it's going down. Like, you don't get to decide what happens uh, when you produce fruit, I'll let you know, this is how it's going down. I've appointed you that you should go bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit, and that fruit should abide. So it should remain, it should last, it should linger, it should move on. In any context, any season, any environment, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So we still have the same context of what we've been talking about. And then in in verse 18, he he continues and he goes, if the world hates you, he quickly moves into this. If the world hates you, just know that he hated me first before it hated you. He's like, okay, you're listening, you're taking notes. All right, fruitfulness, moving forward. Okay, love one another, abide, remain, really good. And he goes, and they're going to hate you for it. I thought they were supposed to love it. I thought, I thought they were supposed to want the fruit. I thought they were supposed to like taste and see the goodness. Yes, some will. But some will hate you. Some will hate you, he says. Just know when they do, they hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world and I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He said, you're not of the world. I've chosen you out of the world. I've adopted you. You've, you've been grafted in not to the world's vine, but Jesus' divine. And now you are different. And the world hates you because of it. 
But if you were of the world, they would love you. This is what you see when Christians sell out to Jesus and start pr- propagating and promoting the things of the world. They get book deals. They, they, people love them. They get celebrated. They get to go to the prayer with the president. And, and it's just nuts. Sell out Christians are good for social benefit. True Christians will be hated by the world. Period. It's just what it is. So if you find yourself hating Christians who are struggling with Christians, getting frustrated with Christians who hold fast to God's word, you need to know that you need to switch teams to Jesus' team because he's celebrating them. When the world's condemning them and hating them, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly angels are rejoicing because they're doing the will of God. He says, if you were of the world, they would love you. But because you're not of the world... I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They hate you. This isn't, I just don't like you. I need you to see there's something going, somehow we think we live in a neutral world, that Christians can just exist neutrally. They hate you. The world hates you. Regardless of if they say it or not, the spirit of the age that's behind them hates you because they hate Jesus. That's why you can pray to every other known God that are all demon gods, but if you talk, start praying to Jesus, you get in trouble. It's because Jesus is the only true God, and all the other gods know that, and they just want to deceive you. Verse 20, remember the word I've said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Not a maybe, If they persecuted me, did they persecute Jesus? Yes, hung him out on a cross, bled out in your place for your sins. You better believe it, you better hope, and you better rejoice in the fact that they persecuted him because they did not, you would not have atonement for your sins. So if you can rejoice in the cross of Christ and say, I'm a Christian now because I look upon the cross of Christ and say, my sin, my Savior, I rejoice, this is awesome. They, you died in my place and, and now I have hope, I have redemption, I have salvation, I am now a child of God. And if you can glory in the cross of Christ in the persecution of your Savior, but then won't understand and won't be willing to be persecuted for the cause of Christ, you might not be in the family because you're looking at the persecution of Christ and saying, that's for you, for me, but I, 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 not for me. I get the salvation, but I don't get the persecution. And Jesus says, hey, it doesn't work that way. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They will also, and this is in our day and age where I don't think Christians yet understand this is how the church grows. You want to see revival in our land? Someone's got to get their head chopped off. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I believe revival will break out in our land. It will break out in the world. I really do believe it. And the church will move with great power. I have great confidence that the kingdom of heaven will have no end because God's word says it doesn't. And I I have great confidence that, that the gates of hell will not stand against the church because Jesus says it. I have great confidence that Jesus is the king ruling and reigning now and forevermore because the Bible says it. I have a lot of great confidence that we win because Jesus wins. But I don't have great confidence that we're only going to make it out alive. Actually, there's going to be a wave, probably, of those who are persecuted. And what ends up happening throughout world history is that every time the church is persecuted, it multiplies. So when you see the day and age coming, and you, you see, you see the, 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 the words, the accusations, the false accusations, the persecution, don't be phased by it. Don't be phased by it. 
When you see that, 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 that our church or, or, or individuals in our church are, are being publicly humiliated in the culture for obeying Jesus and holding fast to his word, don't be afraid. Don't be surprised. See, this is the result of fruitfulness. Because if the fruit continues to be bore in our city, eventually they'll want to chop down the limbs themselves. It will happen. This is what Jesus says. The reality is that the Christian cannot be silent with its fruit, fruitfulness. There's a great social, perhaps familial, relational cost of obeying Jesus. I feel this in my family all the time. We can't even say in our family uh, it, it, that there's two genders without like people getting really upset, really offended, and one writing us books about you know how we're wrong and outdated. And that's not even the good stuff yet. Like, that's, not even, that, that's just the petty stuff, the small stuff. I need you to see Christianity is not a, a private faith waiting to go public. It's a private faith that's already gone public. Will you go public with your faith? Christians are to have a public faith, a public witness, to bear public fruit so that the world may see Jesus as he truly is and that they may... Because Jesus lived himself a public life, was crucified a public death, rose again in a public display of victory, revealing himself to over 500 people at a time in public. Christianity is a public faith that must continue to press forward publicly, bearing fruit publicly, and therefore will be hated publicly. Not because I think so, because Jesus said so. So we'll end with this. There is a day coming where there's going to be this eternal bonfire for those branches that have separated themselves from the vine. If you find yourself right now apart from Christ, I plead with you, turn to him. Turn to him. Put your faith in him. Repent and trust Jesus. If you are a Christian, I plead with you to remain. To remain near Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus as long as you live, and he will produce fruit in you. But apart from him, nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, your word says, Philippians 1.22, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church, he says that if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful ministry for me. May we be the type of Christians in this world today that while we live here on earth in the flesh, that we'd have fruitful ministry. And just as the Apostle Paul says that, we, that he longs to depart and be with you because his, that would be far better, may we realize today that it would be better to be in your presence eternally forever. And Lord, you will take us whenever it is our time. But until then, may we fight to abide, to remain so that we can produce fruit and help us to see that even in times of persecution, even in times of sorrow, even in times of pain, even in times of hardship, even in those times, we have this great promise that you've spoken that, our, that your joy may be in us and that it may be full. So our circumstances don't change the level and, film, and fulfillment of joy. What changes our fulfillment and level of joy is the fact that we will either obey and remain and abide, or we will disobey, separate, wither apart from you. 
Draw us to you, Lord Jesus. Keep us near to you. Keep us in your love. And may it abound in our life and in this world and this city. In Jesus' name, amen.